WABC New York and 1071 WLIR Hampton Bays. It's the 77 WABC News Hour. Talking the news with Noah Layden. All the news you need to know with Joe Nolan, Traffic, Justin Ellick, Sports, Lou Dobbs, Business. And now, talking the news with Noah on 77 WABC. Yep, that's me, 5 o'clock. Good morning. It's Wednesday, May 3rd. Your forecast from the Ramsey Mazda Weather Center. Clouds today, pop-up showers. It seems like this is endless, doesn't it? High 56 tonight. Night overnight, yeah, rain, low 47, and you'll guess it for Thursday. Clouds in the morning, showers in the afternoon, high 57. The good news is, is when we make it to the weekend, we'll get the payoff. It's going to be beautiful out, and we'll see the sun again. If you're walking out the door with us right now, it's 41 and cloudy out in East Hampton, out on Long Island, 46 and cloudy in Cranford, New Jersey, and it's 45 and cloudy here in Midtown. So much to get to as we work our way up, 6 o'clock hour, Sid and friends in the morning. Uh, you know, when I came to the station, what is it, seven, eight months ago, um, and I was so excited to be back at WABC, we you know, had some things to fix and change around, and that was all kind of fun to do. And one of the things that I had said to uh, Margot and John and to Chad, our president, and to Matt Meany, our program director, is we need to create a bench of future broadcasters because uh, a lot of us who are on the air, are, well, we're older. Right. And you got to bring in new blood and fresh blood and new voices and younger voices. And uh, thankfully, they were very much in agreement with me. And so now if you listen to WABC over the weekends and you listen to some what I think are some great newscasts over the weekend, a lot of the people that we have hired over the weekend are an incredibly young staff. Some of them, well, three of them, still in college. And boy, are they good. And uh, sometimes you just luck out during the hiring process. And I met, well, I, I'm going to call them kids because they're the same age as my oldest one. When I met these kids, I was so impressed with them. So you have uh, Liz Radabali, who is great, uh, student at, I won't tell you exactly where they go to school, but Liz, because they may not want you to know that. But Liz is... Um, this is a great backstory. Her mom, Rosemary, and her dad, Rich, who works here now in the afternoons, they met here at WABC and got married. I mean, they met years and years ago, and they got married. And now Liz does news on the weekends, so kind of a full circle, really cool moment there. And um, and then you have Yao Bonsu, who has maybe just the greatest name in radio, who does a fantastic job over the weekend. And boy, are all three of these kids smart. Danny DiCrescenzo. So the reason I bring this up is uh, Yao Bonsu has just won this major award where uh, this group is going to pay for him to live in the city all summer so he can work for us. And he's working over at the TV affiliate WABC. And Danny T. Crescenzo, um I, I, everybody has told me here on the weekends, he's so smart. And that sounds almost condescending, but it's not meant that way. I mean, he really is so smart. Danny DiCrescenzo just won student of the year on his college campus. So sometimes, like I said, you luck out with a hiring process and boy, are they smart and boy, are they good on the weekend. And I couldn't be more proud of Danny Yao and Lizzie. Boy, they're doing a fantastic job. All right, let's get into the headlines. The top five at five. The rent is going up, and now we have a better idea of how much. 
We're getting more details on a man some subway riders are calling a hero. The search for an illegal immigrant who killed a family is over. You may have to wait longer to see new episodes of your favorite TV shows. And a very popular clothing store is going to reopen its doors again. All right, let's get into it. 504, we'll start with the million-plus New Yorkers who live in rent-stabilized apartments. Of course, watching very closely last night as the Rent Guidelines Board took an initial vote on how much the rent is going to go up. Let's find out the latest now on that meeting from WABC's Alex Barnard, who joins us live. Good morning, Alex. Good morning, Noman. Yes, that's right. Like you said, the Rent Guidelines Board passed a preliminary first vote on one-year and two-year leases for rent-stabilized apartments last night, a decision that impacts roughly two million New Yorkers. The vote, which passed five to four, sets the range for potential rent adjustments before a final vote on June 21st. The proposed range of increase would be two to five percent for one-year leases and four to seven percent for two-year leases. Ahead of the vote, both tenant advocates and landlords were putting pressure on the rent guidelines board, even protesting around the table where the board presides. It's a little hard to hear what they're saying there, but they are chanting rent rollback. Tenants had initially feared an 8% increase on one-year leases and 15.75% for two-year leases, which, along with inflation driving up prices, could spell catastrophe for many New Yorkers. Esteban Giron of the Crown Heights Tenants Union spoke to New York One. I think what happened tonight is that they put out this 16% figure so that when they did come up with like a 4 to 8%, it would seem like it's not as bad. But it's really bad. It's still the highest that we're ever going to have. And it's unacceptable. So... The council members, the tenants have decided to do this. We are going to keep coming back and telling them what we what we need and what we can't we can't afford. Meanwhile, landlords like Michael Laub, who spoke to ABC7, argued that an increase is necessary in order to afford the higher costs of maintenance and gas. It's almost impossible to maintain a safe, sound building as it should be and give the tenants what they deserve. We can't keep up with everything. We don't have the money. However, Brooklyn City Councilmember Shai Ossay says rent increases make no sense. People are on the brink of homelessness. Uh, they're on the brink of death because of how expensive rent is. And the fact that the Rent Guidelines Board, which is mainly uh, filled with those that are working uh, with the interests of landlords and real estate, um, are sitting up there smug every single time they have a hearing um, and even dare to, to present increases to rent when rent is already too damn expensive, compelled me to do something about it. With crime running rampant in New York, you need to keep yourself and your family safe. Obtaining your concealed carry firearm licenses can be difficult and time-consuming. That's where MyFirstPistol.com comes in. They'll help you secure your concealed carry license. If you're looking for a pistol, premise, rifle, or shotgun license, call 347-559-7052. 347-559-7052. You must have a valid firearm license issued by the NYPD to purchase, possess, or shoot a handgun or pistol in NYPD. Last year, the board voted to raise rents on one-year leases by 3.25% and two-year leases by 5%, the largest increase for rent-stabilized apartments in a decade. If approved, rent hikes would go into effect in the fall. Of course, the big issue here, Alex, right? Some of these, um, or a lot of these building owners are small-time business guys. They're not, they don't own hundreds of apartments. They own three apartments, two apartments. So they're saying they're having a hard time making ends meet. And then you have the renters who are, everybody's paying more for everything. 
So they say they have a hard time making ends meet. Do we know when a final vote on this will take place? Yes. The final vote for the proposed guidelines would be on June 21st. That's that's when they would set down an actual number of how much the rent would increase. Last night was just setting a range by which the rent would increase. All right, so a process that'll end in June. I guess they'll find out that uh, those numbers again. WABC's Alex Barnard, thank you very much. WABC News Time five ten. Let's go down to Texas. The man accused of shooting and killing five of his neighbors, including a third grader last week. This was in Texas. Has been arrested. The news of Francisco Oropesa's capture comes after what was an intensive four day manhunt. It ended yesterday. Multiple agencies involved. The FBI. It began. Began in uh, Cleveland, Texas, on Saturday, and thankfully ended yesterday. The Marshal Service is the oldest federal law enforcement agency, and we have an expertise in hunting fugitives. This is a very sad time for the the victims, and I hope that this will bring them some comfort and they could grieve. Oropesa shot his neighbors after they had asked him to stop firing off his gun on his front lawn. He was captured in a town called Cut and Shoot, Texas. It's in Montgomery County. This is basically what we do. You know, we show up, we bring the adequate resources, and then we don't we don't let up. We always said it's not a matter of if, but a matter of when the suspects can be caught, and we're extremely glad that Today was the win. Maybe the most enraging part of this story, Oropesa, a Mexican national, has been deported from the U.S. four times. Last time, 2016, his current immigration status uh, unclear. Stunned neighbors had created a memorial for the victims who include a mother and her young son, two other women, and an 18-year-old man. The good news, the only bit of good news is this guy's behind bars this morning. 5-11, let's stay along the Texas border. The U.S. sending an additional 1,500 active duty troops to the southern U.S. border. As Title 42 will expire next week. That is the uh, law that was in place during COVID that meant we could turn people away because of COVID. That ends because the COVID pandemic is over. And the thought is people are going to race across the border. These 1,500 military personnel who will be sourced from the active duty component will fill critical capability gaps such as ground-based detection and monitoring, data entry, and warehouse support until CPB can address these needs through contracted support. So a surge of migrants into the U.S. expected once the pandemic-era immigration rule ends. That's next week. Pentagon Press Secretary Pat Ryder says troops will not be performing law enforcement duties, but will actually support Border Patrol in administrative and other tasks. He says troops could be deployed as soon as May 10th, and they'll likely be there for at least 90 days. It's important to note that the department is also evaluating options on how we might replace these deploying forces in stride with other sources to include potentially forces from the reserve component and contracted support. And no doubt you've noticed that tens of thousands of those migrants who have crossed the U.S. southern border have been bussed here to the city. 53,000 at least, 200 at least uh, showing up a day since then. Mayor Adams, who was on Sit and Friends of the Morning yesterday, would not back down from claiming that Republicans in Texas have been bussing thousands of migrants to the Big Apple and elsewhere to hurt black-run cities. Here he was on with Sid yesterday. We have 108 thousand cities in america but where did abbott send the migrants 
to New York, to Chicago, to Denver, to Washington. Each one of those cities are run by black Mayor. Mayor Adams says migrants at the border have been told they could come here to New York for free. This is his claim, that they could come to New York for free but would be charged to go to other cities. 514, dozens of regional banks taking a dive yesterday following the takeover of failed First Republic Bank. Reporter Kayla Tosh says investigators are investigating the smaller banks, anticipating more potential problems with those small banks. What other banks could be the next shoe to drop? And so they're looking at banks that have exposure to commercial real estate, to technology, to some of these sectors that have been more plagued by recent economic trends and inflation. Regional banks, PacWest headquartered in Los Angeles, Western Alliance, that's in Phoenix, taking the biggest hit and trading for both was halted. Federal regulators uh, seized First Republic yesterday. They, well, This was on Monday. And they sold all deposits and most of their assets to J.P. Morgan Chase. The feds hoped the move would calm fears over volatility issues surrounding the regional banks. But the markets went crazy yesterday all the, over these moves and also over the fact that the Fed is going to raise the interest rate. So just a bad day all around most far. It's Wall Street and for these banks. There's a real focus on banks that are under pressure that maybe haven't managed their interest rate risk well enough. And so this is the market just placing bets on the next shoe to drop. Yeah, and we'll monitor those markets when they open at 930 this morning. 515, let's head over to the 77 WABC Sports Desk. Justin Ellick, big night for the Knicks. They're back in it. They are back in it, unknown indeed. And we will start with that huge win at home last night for your Knickerbockers. They beat the Miami Heat 111-105 to at the Garden in Game 2 of their second-round playoff matchup to tie the series at one game apiece. Jalen Brunson was everything and more for the Knicks in this one, registering a 30-point night, complete with big shot after big shot. None bigger, though, than this. Go-ahead three late in the fourth that blew the top off the Garden. Rebounded by Grimes for the lead. That call courtesy of TNT. Julius Randle showed out as well with his 25, while R.J. Barrett finished right at his heels with his 24. And the Knicks are able to take advantage of the Jimmy Butler-less heat before the series heads to Miami for the next two, starting with Game 3 on Saturday afternoon in the West. The Lakers... Is Butler going to be back uh, next with, game? I, guess, I, I think it's still undecided, so we have to wait he and see. rolled his foot, right? Yeah, he rolled ankle, his ankle. Right? Yeah. yeah, exactly. Hmm. So... Uh, we'll see. We shall see. But uh, I would imagine that uh, he would do everything he can to play in that game, uh, given how last night went for the Heat. Yeah. And out west, Nome, the Lakers beat the Warriors 117-112 to 112 to take a 1-0 series lead. On the diamond, the Mets, they were postponed again while the Yankees grabbed a big 4-2 bounce-back win over the Cleveland Guardians in the Bronx. Willie Calhoun and Anthony Volpe both went deep for the Bombers, and Garrett Cole continued his stretch of dominance, yielding just two earned runs off five hits over six innings of work. Clark Schmidt. We'll get the ball in the finale tonight as the Yankees try to piece together a series win. He'll be going up against Cleveland's Shane Bieber for a 7.05 p.m. first pitch. As for the Mets, they're hoping to finally get their series with the Tigers underway in Detroit with another doubleheader set to begin at 1.40 p.m. this afternoon. Joey Lucchese is slated to take the hill against Detroit's Joey Wentz in Game 1. And on the ice last night, the Florida Panthers best the Toronto Maple Leafs 4-2 to take a 1-0 series lead in the Seattle crack and took down the Dallas Stars 5-4, 5-4, I should say, to jump ahead 1-0 in that series.
Communities. Here with sports on 77 WABC. I am Justin Ellick. All right, 520. Let's bring it back here. Yesterday, the one-year anniversary of the Supreme Court leak involving the infamous Dobbs decision that allowed states to ban abortions. We still don't know who leaked this opinion. So we knew about it before, you know, the Supreme Court laid down that decision. Experts say it had an impact creating conflict between the justices because everybody wanted to know who leaked it. The justices may not trust each other and they may suspect their colleagues of doing something that's wrong. Yeah, we don't know that for a fact uh, because nobody has really spoken out in a big way about it. But Professor Josh Blackman at the South Texas College of Law there says the leak can directly be linked to the current investigations into the justices' private lives and accusations of outside influence over the court. A Senate Democrats yesterday calling for Supreme Court ethics reform in recent controversies over uh, and among those justices. We entrust judges with administering equal justice under the law. It is critical to our democracy that the American people have confidence that judges cannot be bought or influenced. During a congressional hearing yesterday, that's Illinois Senator Dick Durbin, says the highest court in the land should not have the lowest ethical standards. He says Congress must act to impose clear and enforceable conduct rules on the court. The hearing follows the reports that Justice Clarence Thomas received undisclosed vacations and gifts from Republican donor Harlan Crow for years. The highest court in the land should not have the lowest ethical standards. That reality is driving a crisis in public confidence in the Supreme Court. The status quo must change. Republicans, though, saying most of this is just nonsense. It's a Democratic bid to break up the court, which, of course, is now right-leaning. We can talk about ethics, and that's great. But we're also going to talk about today of a concentrated effort by the left to delegitimize this court and to cherry-pick examples to make a point. Yeah, Graham says uh, it seems the Democrats are only going after the right-leaning justices. This is not going to work. You can write all the articles you want to write. You can take all the shots at the conservative justices you want to take. You can pick it before their houses, and it's not going to stop people from doing their job. 522, let's stay down in D.C. President Biden will meet with House and Senate leaders next week as the U.S. could default on its debt as soon as June 1. In other words, default as early as June 1st. The updated projection should be a wake-up call to Congress It is time for the Speaker and the MAGA Republicans to stop the brinksmanship. White House Press Secretary there, Corinne Jean-Pierre, says the president's plan to argue it's Congress's constitutional duty to raise the debt ceiling and avoid default. She says Biden will not negotiate over raising the debt limit, but is willing to have a separate conversation about spending and appropriations. Republicans, of course, want deep spending cuts in exchange for their support of any borrowing increase. There is no constituency in this nation that that supports threatening to kill millions of jobs unless the VA is gutted except apparently extreme MAGA Republicans. Of course, Republicans see it a whole lot differently. I guess the good news is they're actually going to finally meet up and talk about it. The White House, meanwhile, won't discuss the paternity case involving President Biden's son, Hunter Biden. Here's again White House Press Secretary Corinne Jean-Pierre. She was asked a really pointed question about Biden's granddaughter. I wanted to ask about the trial going on in Arkansas with Hunter Biden and the child support. Are the president and first lady monitoring that? And how come they haven't acknowledged the seventh grandchild? 
I'm not going to speak to that from here. <laughs> yeah, I didn't think you'd get an answer, but good question to ask. The case reopened when Hunter Biden tried to reduce his child support payments, prompting the woman to file suit. Hunter Biden forced to take a paternity test. That was back in 2019. And according to the four-year-old's mom, no one from the president's family has ever seen or talked to this girl. And while we're talking Hunter Biden, the secretary of state, denying any role in the Hunter Biden Russian disinformation letter. Remember that? I didn't. It wasn't my idea. Didn't ask for it. Didn't solicit it. That's uh, Antony Blinken. The letter signed by 51 intelligence officials claimed the Hunter Biden laptop story had the markings of a Russian disinformation campaign and cited numerous times by Joe Biden during the 2020 campaign. Last month, a former CIA official told the House that Antony Blinken was behind that letter, a charge Blinken denied this week. He still refuses to say if the laptop contents are real, even after the New York Times and the Washington Post later confirmed the contents are authentic. One of the great benefits of this job is that I uh, don't do politics and uh, don't uh, don't engage in it. Yeah, he wasn't taking the bait. 525. Let's go out to Illinois. We were telling you about this crazy, wild story on the highway in Illinois. Dust storm caused by farmers uh, starting the season and going through the soil. Police talking more about the area where six people were killed, dozens injured after this dust storm pile up in south central Illinois. It was Monday. This area is a very flat roadway. There's very little wind breaks and fields to the west of I-55 were depositing significant field dust across I-55, causing essentially zero visibility, complete blackout conditions. Have you seen those videos? They are wild. You know, just you're going into the storm and you can't see. And of course, it was just cars crashing into each other. Crews still at the scene. This is near Springfield on Interstate 55. This dust storm area, visibility down, way down, causing the chain reaction crash. There are at least 37 reported injuries. And the number we have as of right now was six fatalities. And the age of the victims range from two years old to 80 years old. So there were some crazy moments, a tractor trailers crashing into each other. You can imagine how awful that was a couple of them exploded uh, after impact uh, they think it was the gas tanks they're not totally sure they're trying to figure it all out uh, there were 72 cars involved in this pile up I mean it, it is insane and uh, tragically again six people killed dozens injured we are currently working with the Montgomery County Coroner's Office to positively identify fatality victims. Yeah, even as of late yesterday, they were still pulling some of these cars off the highway and then towing them away. We are just getting started on this Wednesday morning. Crazy story in a NoHo subway station where a subway rider took matters into his own hands when an erratic passenger started screaming at strap hangers. We'll get more details on that story before the morning wears on. Another crazy scene aboard a flight, an angry passenger on the United Airlines flight had to be restrained by passengers when he tried to jump out of the plane. We'll give you the details on that before the morning is out. And neighbors demanding answers after lab tests reveal that dangerous levels of lead are falling from some of those subway train tracks above you. We'll get into those stories and more, but first this at 530. The 77 WABC News with Noah Layden on 77 WABC. 
on 77 WABC. This is the 77 WABC News Hour with Noam Layden. Yeah, that's me. 532. Good morning. It's Wednesday, May 3rd. Your forecast from the Ramsey Mazda Weather Center. Clouds today, pop-up showers, high 56. The rain hangs around tonight uh, and overnight, low 47. I'm laughing because it's just like, is this going to end at some point? And then Thursday, clouds in the morning, showers in the afternoon, high 57. But the good news is the weekend's just going to be downright beautiful. Beautiful. So we'll get payback that way. If you're walking out the door with us right now, so happy you are. 41 cloudy out in East Hampton, out on Long Island. 46 and cloudy in Cranford, New Jersey. And it's 45 and cloudy here in Midtown. Let's start this half hour in NoHo in a story that's getting an enormous amount of traction. Police investigating the death of a man who was allegedly harassing subway riders in NoHo before one passenger decided to take matters into his own hands. A lot of legal questions surrounding what happened on this F train on Monday afternoon because the man who may have been acting as a good Samaritan has not been charged so this is what took place there was this is from eyewitnesses there was a guy 30 year old guy who was screaming and yelling at passengers on this f train at the stop uh, uh, broadway lafayette train station so this 24 year old grabbed him put him into a chokehold the man went unconscious and then he died later at the hospital they tried to revive him in the subway station unable to do so the 24 year old of course stayed at the scene. NYPD cops investigated him, uh, let him go, or I should say interviewed him, then sent him on his way. They say uh, no charges right now as they do a further investigation. Former NYPD chief of detectives Robert Boyce weighs in on the investigation. This particular individual who passed, 30 years old, had 44 prior arrests and was on the subway recidivist list. Key here now is the Emmys report. Yeah, so he's saying this guy should have never been allowed back into the subway system with so many charges against him, uh, charges of things that happened in the subway system. The um, 30-year-old man lost conscious, has never regained it. Uh, authorities say he was taken to Lenox Hill Hospital, where he later was pronounced dead. How long was was the actual hold? Was the neck compression? That's He's talking about the chokehold. Was he screaming, let me go, let me go? All these things will go into that determination. The safest thing to do was call 911 if you can down there or find an officer nearby. However, save that those two instances, if there's an immediate need to help someone, you do it. Yes, so Robert uh, Boyce there saying that um, uh, he did the right thing by stepping in. So far, the NYPD has not released the names of either man in the case. The investigation seeks to answer all of the questions about what physically happened to the man who died and just how much of a threat he was. Again, he had 44 prior arrests for assault, disorderly conduct, and fare evasion. Uh, Riders, they're not really sure what to make of it. I mean, that's heroic, but that's really scary on the same part. Like, you cannot just jump in and be a good Samaritan, because good Samaritans often wind up being hurt themselves. And Mayor Adams, who was on Sit and Friends in the morning yesterday, talking about how crime is down uh, in the subways, around 6%. But uh, riders say, you know, they're still on the subways looking around and sometimes fearful for their lives. Not safe at all. I mean, unfortunately, like... We're not allowed to carry things, but I wish we were able to, like, do pepper spray or something. But I can only imagine what it's like to go do that, especially because, like, because you're a New Yorker, you know that there's less resources for these, 
you know, uh, people who are just, you know, out on the street. And there is video of this man in the chokehold of the man holding him down. There is video also as well as the EMTs, the paramedics racing into the subway to try and revive the a 30-year-old who was lying on the ground unconscious. No doubt this story. There's more to it. And as, of course, more details come into us, we will pass them on to you. Let's go back up to Albany. More than a month after the original deadline, lawmakers have finally passed a brand-new state budget, both the state Senate and Assembly, passing this $220 billion spending plan yesterday, putting an end to weeks of negotiations between Governor Hochul and legislative leaders, including Included in the budget, changes to bail reform laws, but there's lots of arguments that if they've gone far enough with these changes, a plan to boost the state's minimum wage uh, here in the city, it'll go up $2, and funding for hospitals and nursing homes. The initial deadline to pass the budget was back on April 1st. Uh, Governor Hochul's ambitious affordable housing plan, that was not included in this plan. She wants to build 800,000 units in the next 10 years. Do we expect to get it all through in the first three months of announcing it? No, but it started the conversation. It sparked uh, a lot of debate. Yeah, she claims she wasn't sure it was going to get passed uh, by putting it in the budget, but she says she's going to try again. That right is so far out of reach for so many New Yorkers. That's untenable. So that is going to be my commitment uh, throughout my entire duration as governor. But the big story here, the budget finally passed up in Albany. 537 now, traffic, transit, and weather on the 7s. Here's Joe Norm. All right, no, I'm down in Edison, New Jersey on Lincoln Highway, Route 27 on the southbound side. Again, uh, getting on the southbound 287. All lanes are going to be closed there, an overturned tractor trailer. That is going to be a big deal if it's there for too much longer. You're going to have problems on 27. You're also going to have big problems as you begin to travel out onto 287 itself with the uh, rubbernecking because it is right there. So if you're headed that way, just allow some time. Really not a lot you can get around it on 287, but if you're traveling on on the Lincoln Highway, you can go ahead and use uh, Route 1 as an alternate to that. It's pretty easy. Now, if you're traveling on the Turnpike northbound, the outer roadway, that is going to be closed for a little while longer with the overnight road work. Route 206, bad accident up in Newton between Patterson and Woodside Avenues. All lanes are closed there. Down pole, down wires. That will continue for a while. Now, on the New England Thruway southbound, from Boston Road down to the Hutch, there you've got construction, two lanes out of service there. And now also on the outbound LIE, that earlier crash we told you about for a couple of times, that now has been cleared. So all lanes have been reopened. But on the inbound side, we're a little slow now as you start to get through the eastern part of Queens, right around the Cross Island. And then again, you're a little heavy coming into Queens Boulevard. Inbound on the Gowanus BQA, we're going to be slow as you come up to the Brooklyn Bridge from about the Prospect. Before that, though, no problems. Doing pretty well on the Belt Parkway. A couple of slowdowns along the way as you get between the Belt Parkway and the Van Wyck, but nothing horrible. And then there might also be an accident now as you begin to travel out onto the Belt Parkway. This would be uh, on the, looks like the westbound side, just before Shell Road. Mass transit-wise, everybody seems to be in pretty good shape at this point. You really don't have much of a problem at all. We had some subway issues earlier. They look like they've been cleared up and alternate side is going to be in effect. Now, from the Ramsey Mazda weather desk, scattered showers today, high 58, but it looks like it's going to be more sun than anything else. Some showers around tonight, low 47. Same kind of deal tomorrow. And then the first half of Friday, showers around the high. Both days will be in the upper 50s. And then on Friday, once it gets partly sunny, you're going to get into the 60s. Over the weekend, Really good. 47 degrees. I'm Joe Nolan. Talk Radio 77 WABC. WABC News Time 540. Former President Trump 
He's not going to testify. Trump lawyer Joe Tacopina telling U.S. District Court judge yesterday that his client will not testify in the trial for E. Jean Carroll, who claims she was raped by Trump in Bergdorf Goodman uh, dressing room. This was, she claims, back in the 1990s. Friends of Carroll have taken the stand. They did so yesterday with one saying the writer called her minutes after the alleged incident at that department store. Trump has said all along he does not know E. Jean Carroll and that she made up the story in a bid to sell copies of her book. 540, New York State going to expand access to birth control, abortion drugs, noting recent setbacks in the fight for reproductive rights. With these bills, we're standing up. We're fighting back, and we're welcoming all in search of these freedoms. Governor Hochul yesterday signing the legislation that will allow pharmacists to dispense contraception over the counter. She signed another law that requires SUNY and CUNY campuses to employ someone who's authorized to prescribe medical abortion pills or provide a referral. As always, when others fall short, New York will continue to step up and lead the way. Across the country, across the world, people are looking to New York for leadership during these tumultuous times. Out to New Jersey, Governor Phil Murphy highlighting money set aside in his proposed budget to pay for protective gear for firefighters. He visited with a Paramus firehouse yesterday. So as we emerge from the pandemic, we're going to keep doing whatever we can to support our communities and the first responders who bore the brunt of it. So it's a proposal, another $10 million for the American Rescue Plan Firefighter Grant Program. That's in his fiscal budget for 2024. It provides funding to local and regional fire departments across the state so firefighters have the proper protective gear when they go into battle ablaze. Those upgraded hoods we just talked about, they cost a lot of money. And local departments don't always have the budget for it, which is exactly why it is so critical for the state and federal government to step in. Let's go to Lower Manhattan. Lots of people will be happy to hear this. Century 21's flagship store down in the financial district going to reopen on May 12th. Manhattan Borough President Mark Levine posting on Twitter yesterday that the store, 22 Cortland Street, that had filed for bankruptcy during the pandemic back in 2020, is now come back to life. I feel like this is a second or third life for Century 21, but boy, do people love that store. The uh, down Downtown location and 13 other stores across New York, New Jersey, and Pennsylvania had closed after its owners filed for bankruptcy in 2020. But following the bankruptcy, the company says the uh, family bought back the intellectual property for Century 21 brand, ensuring it would continue to be a family-run business. And now they're going to reopen again that downtown Wall Street location on May 12th. 543. Another scene on an airline, another angry passenger just on a United Airlines flight. He had to be restrained by other passengers after he appeared to punch a flight attendant multiple times. Uh, Here's uh, well, here's what it sounded like. Sounds bad. Thankfully, the plane had not taken off. Uh, was going from San Francisco to Houston. Naya Jimenez actually shot video of all this because um, they were going to ask this guy who started fighting with everybody to change his seat with Naya. So uh, she had a front row seat to this uh, takedown. They had to bring in a gate attendant from outside of the plane to come and try to talk to both of them. 
Um, and then he began kind of just slurring his speech a little bit, being like, sir, why are you smiling at me? Is the first thing he said. And then he went crazy. I guess he didn't, he didn't want to change his seat. Uh, he opened up the exit door. Again, the plane was still on the ground, but the, uh, the, you know, the little staircase that sometimes they bring up, that was gone and this guy was ready to jump, which is like, what, two stories in the air would not have been a pretty ending. The flight attendants grabbed him, held him so he couldn't jump. After he paused for a minute, he ran towards where the, like, the pilot area is, where the emergency exit doors are and attempted to open it successfully, opened the emergency exit, um, was a- about to like jump down and the plane is elevated, right? So he would have flown apparently two f- uh, stories to the ground and uh, the flight attendants just kicked in and everybody pulled him back to safety. And as of this morning, they gave us the name of this dope, 47-year-old Cody Benjamin. He's from Montgomery, Texas, arrested, cited, released for battery. It sounds by the fact that they said he was slurring his words. He had one too many before he got onto this plane. I will say, remember, we were doing these stories all the time. These stories of people going nuts on planes. Well, during the pandemic, that was huge. It, a lot of times it was over wearing a mask or not wearing a mask. Uh, now these numbers of stories have gone down, but you still get freaks like this guy in Texas. 545, let's head over to the 77 WABC sports desk for their own sports freak. Here's Justin Owen. Oh, thank you, Gnome Layden. We begin. With a huge win at home last night for the Knicks, beating the Miami Heat 111-105 at the Garden in Game 2 of their second-round playoff matchup to tie the series at one game apiece. Jalen Brunson was everything and more for the Knicks in this one, registering a 30-point night complete with big shot after big shot. None bigger, though, than this go-ahead three late in the fourth that blew the top off the Garden. Rebounded by Grimes for the lead. That call courtesy of TNT. Julius Randle showed out as well with his 25, while R.J. Barrett finished right at his heels with his 24 points. And the Knicks are able to take advantage of the Jimmy Butler-less heat before the series heads to Miami for the next two, starting with Game 3 on Saturday afternoon. In the West, the Lakers beat the Warriors 117-112 last night to take a 1-0 series lead in that one. On the diamond, the Mets were postponed again, while the Yankees grabbed a big 4-2 bounce-back win over the Cleveland Guardians in the Bronx. Willie Calhoun and Anthony Volpe both went deep for the Bombers, and Garrett Cole continued to stretch dominance yielding just two earned runs off five hits over six innings of work. Clark Schmidt will get the ball in the finale tonight as the Yankees try to piece together a series win. He'll be going up against Cleveland's Shane Bieber for a 7.05 p.m. first pitch. As for the Mets, they're hoping to finally get their series with the Tigers underway in Detroit with another doubleheader set to begin at 1.40 p.m. this afternoon. Joey Lucchese is slated to take the hill against Detroit's Joey Wentz in Game 1. And on the ice last night, Florida Panthers best to Toronto Maple Leafs 4-2 to take a 1-0 series lead. And the Seattle Kraken took down the Dallas Stars 5-4 to jump ahead 1-0 in that series, and of course, Devils and Hurricanes in Carolina tonight. Game 1, 7 p.m. puck drop, so you got that to look forward to. Here with Sports on 77 WABC, I'm Justin Ellis. 549, let's catch you up on some of the big stories of the morning last night. Rent Guidelines Board passing this preliminary first vote on one-year and two-year leases for rent-stabilized apartments in the city. It was raucous. It always is these meetings. The renters show up. At one point, they took over the stage where this committee was trying to take a vote. 
Yeah. So the potential adjustment could increase rent from two to five percent for one year leases and four to seven percent for two year leases. The numbers they were talking about just a couple of days ago were up to 16 percent. So you would think the renters would be happy that we're no longer near that number. How could we afford an increase right now? Most of us don't have no jobs. If it goes up even one more dollar, it would affect them by possibly making them homeless. Tonight is about sending a message that New York City tenants cannot take it anymore. There are more than a million rent-controlled and rent-stabilized apartments here in the city. Despite the deep divide between tenants and landlords, they actually have a lot in common. They're feeling just this sting of high prices everywhere. Oil, food, um, paying for those apartments, uh, doing repairs. Uh, the landlords, many of them are just small-time guys. They own a couple apartments here and there, and they're having a hard time making ends meet as well. We can't keep up with everything. We don't have the money. Property taxes, utility bills, um, insurance premiums, all of these must be paid all the time. They're not optional. Now, I can't tell you why they take a preliminary vote and then a final vote in June, but uh, the numbers we're telling you about will likely be the final numbers, and that will be uh, during a final vote from this Rent Guidelines Board come June. The man accused of shooting and killing five of his neighbors down in Texas, including a third grader, uh, has finally been arrested. The news of Francisco Oropresa's capture comes after what was an intense manhunt that got him yesterday in uh, not too far away where from where this shooting took place in Cleveland, Texas. Marshal Service is the oldest federal law enforcement agency, and we have an expertise in hunting fugitives. This is a very sad time for the, the victims, and I hope that this will bring them some comfort. And they could grieve. Oropesa shot his neighbors after they had asked him to stop firing off his gun on his front lawn. That was on Friday. He was captured in a town called Cut and Shoot, Texas. This is basically what we do. You know, we show up, we bring the adequate resources, and then we don't we don't let up. We always said it's not a matter of if, but a matter of when the suspects can be caught. And we're extremely glad that. Today is the win. Another enraging part of the story, Oropesa is a Mexican national. He's de- deported from the U.S. four times, but managed to get his way back in last time, 2016. His current immigration status unclear. Stunned neighbors, of course, creating a memorial for the victims that include a mother, her young son, two other women, and an 18-year-old man. WABC News Time 552. Let's go out to Brooklyn. Neighbors demanding answers after lab tests reveal that dangerous levels of lead are falling from several MTA structures. Some of them are those overhead trains. Salvatore Pelosi runs his family's restaurant on um, near the Knickerbocker Avenue subway station in Bush uh, Bushwick. And he started noticing dry pieces of paint falling from the overhead uh, trains on the elevated M line. So he brought them in himself to have them tested to see what was going on. You'll see these paint chips, but you can see how they're breaking down. I was shocked. First and foremost, you don't necessarily expect that. So his results showed level leads of 12 times higher than the standards from the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. So yesterday, they held a rally under uh, this train tracks, the elevated M, demanding that the MTA come in and fix what's wrong. Bushwick deserves to have investments in our public infrastructure. We deserve to have a safe 
community where we can walk without being exposed to high levels of toxic material. MTA says it's aware of the problems, says it will make fixes, but did not give a timeline of when that would take place. So on the one-year anniversary of a student's death at an elite boarding school in New Jersey, the school releasing a statement publicly admitting its failure, the Lawrenceville School, releasing this statement acknowledging that it failed to protect student Jack Reed, who died by suicide in 2022 from bullying, saying that it fell tragically short. In Jack's case, Jack was 17 at the time, and he had been accused online of rape. Uh, uh, there was no suggestion that that was even true. Uh, his father said he seemed to be handling it well and been talking with school officials and he had a final conversation with them before he committed suicide. We were well aware of what was going on and we were encouraging him. He advocated for himself. He talked to the school. He talked to his friends. We were meant to see him the next morning and the last words we spoke to him about were Dad, I'm I'm doing better. I love you. Yeah, unfortunately, the next day he took his own life. His mother says the online component of this bullying is just overwhelming for kids everywhere. Everyone in this room probably knows someone who was bullied as a child, and you do suffer the scars of that and then have that for the rest of your life. But I think that what we've realized from our situation is that it can lead to death. This is a very serious issue, and... The Internet absolutely makes it even much worse for kids today. Oh, it makes it tenfold. I mean, it just got awful. The uh, school said in a statement that it had been made aware of the bullying and cruel behavior towards Jack. And there were steps that the school should have taken in hindsight. By the way, I should point this out. Every time we do a story, we don't thankfully do a whole lot of these. But if you or someone you know are experiencing suicidal sub, uh, suicidal thoughts, uh, you just have to tell, call or text the number 988 and you will get help right away. WABC News Time 556. Let's go on to something a whole lot lighter. Comedian Pete Davidson feeling the effects of the TV writer's strike. He's supposed to be on Saturday Night Live, but it's not clear any of that's going to take place. It sucks because it just feeds my like weird story I have in my head. Like, of course, that would happen to me. Davidson was set to host uh, the weekend SNL, but now it has been officially canceled, joining other shows that are going dark in solidarity with these writers unions that have gone on strike. The Tonight Show with Jimmy Fallon, The Late Show with Stephen Colbert, uh, Jimmy Kimmel Live, all of them uh, going dark, going to be showing repeats. Uh, the writers taking to the picket line. It really comes down to writers being valued for the work that they do. It has gotten a lot harder to make a living as writer these days. I speaking for myself, uh, I, if you're not rich, I don't know how much longer you could do it. More than 11,000 members of the Writers Guild calling for a contract that includes wage increases and better royalties. A lot of it has to do with the streaming services. They say they're not getting a fair wage from them. Unfortunately, because of the shorter seasons, because of the gaps between writing and production, and also it's harder to get a job in between other jobs. Late night hosts uh, Jimmy Fallon, Seth Meyers say they back their writers. I support my writers, uh, but we have a lot of uh, staff and crew that will be affected by this. You know, but you know they got to get a fair deal. I also feel very strongly that 
what the writers are asking for is not unreasonable. The decision to strike is the culmination of what's been a months-long battle with the studios over pay in the streaming area uh, era. Rather, the last writer strike was 15 years ago. It lasted 100 days and cost Hollywood over $2 billion. You can imagine they're going to try to work hard to get these folks off the picket line back riding again. Sour. Talking the news.